Well, good morning and welcome to the Monday Main Point on a Wednesday. So it is uh, Wednesday, March the 10th, 2021, and Monday Main Point, uh, we're still going to call it that even though it's Wednesday, uh, Monday Main Point is... Uh, Actually, I, I told Tony that I would, he called it the Midweek Main Point. The Midweek Main Point. All right, shout out to Tony for that. Uh, midweek Main Point is, is uh, brought to you by the... Pastors here at Rose of Sharon Baptist Church. Uh, it's where we take Sunday's sermon and kind of break it down a little bit, look into it a little bit deeper, have a roundtable discussion. And so I am Jonathan Hendrickson. I'm associate pastor here at Rose of Sharon. I'm joined, as always, with our on my left here with Jeremiah Custer, our youth pastor. Right across the table from me is Blake Flinch, our children's pastor. And to my right, my right-hand man, is Jeff McCarthy, uh, our senior pastor. Actually, I'm his right-hand man. I would be on the other side, but Blake is his right-hand man today. So, uh... <laughs> You guys don't know what you're asking. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It goes right in, it goes right in with the message. Uh, all right, all right. So, so we're in a sermon series right now uh, called Fact-Checking the Resurrection. And uh, I'm enjoying this. Uh, the apologist in me really loves this. And so we're looking at the, we're taking Gary Habermas's six minimal facts argument, adding a seventh one to it, and uh, looking at, these are, these are facts that we're, we're, the facts we're talking about each week here are facts that critical scholars are willing to um, admit to. And they'll, they'll say that, yes, these are, these are historical. This really happened. And so we've talked about the death and the burial of Jesus, how that's, that's well attested. The fact that the disciples had real experiences that they believed were with the risen Jesus. And sort of tongue and groove with that. Like the next step, if you're going to look at the disciples' experiences, would be the fact, this third fact, Jeff, which is what you preached on on Sunday, which is that this these experiences that the disciples had led to transformation. That these, these guys were not the same as they were prior to the resurrection. History will back that up. And, and mostly the reason why history backs that up is because um, the existence of the church. I mean, the, the church doesn't exist if these guys are the same guys they were prior to the resurrection. And so um, really it was a two-point two point sermon. Uh, and, and the first point that we're going to talk about here is, is just, just what we just said, which is that the apostles fearfully face persecution and death before they encounter the resurrected Jesus. So before they encounter Jesus, um, these, these same guys that we see who will be bold preachers of the gospel later are just the opposite, Jeff, uh, uh, when, when, we first, when they first come on the scene. And um, you used several examples here. We'll just kind of go through some of these um, together um, that really paint the picture of the attitude. Like if you were going to say, all right, this guy, um, he's going to become uh, a bold proclaimer of this new faith um, after after I pass or after I, you know, after I'm off the scene. This is the guy who's going to do it. He's going to become this bold proclaimer of this brand new faith. This is not this is not anything that was uh normative for the Jews. This was just, this is cold, totally different. Um, you would expect that those people would be in step, right, with, with the person that they're replacing, um, that they'd be um, preaching the same kind of message. I mean, we, we want to think back to the prophets. 
I think about Elijah and Elisha, right? And, and Elisha follows around Elijah for a while. And after Elijah is off the scene, Elisha just takes, takes over from where Elijah left off. Um, Moses and Joshua, right? You know, Moses, bold proclaimer, uh, takes Joshua under his wing. Joshua becomes a bold. It, it's, it's obvious to everybody that Joshua will be the next leader. It just kind of looks that way. But I think, based on the snapshots you showed us here in in uh, the New Testament and the Gospel accounts, that doesn't seem to be the case. If I saw these guys and this attitude that we're going to look at here, I don't know that my next thought would be, "Okay, there's the next leader." You know, after Jesus is off the scene, right? Yeah, and you know, your uh, tendency would be if you looked at Jesus, looked at his disciples, and how everything played out. Obviously, he had three guys that were his main. Inner circles, what we call it. Right. And that was Peter, James, and John. James and John were brothers. Peter was, uh, they were all fishermen. Uh, Peter, of course, was very vocal, was kind of like the, the leader, spokesman of the group. So you would think it would be either Peter, James, or John would be the ones that would gradually or naturally step into that position. Like now that Jesus is gone, we need to figure out who's in charge now. And we need to, you know, if, if they were these great guys that, that wanted to, to continue this ministry Jesus started, um, then those will be the ones that they're going to follow. But even though they spoke a good game, they uh, they didn't play out like, like you would think. Yeah, yeah. So so you start off with Mark the, the account in Mark 10, um, which has uh, Jesus predicting to, to the disciples, which he did multiple times. Mm-hmm. Um, multiple times he he plainly spelled out like here he says we're going to go up to jerusalem uh the son of man is going to be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes they're going to condemn him to death and then they'll hand him over to the gentiles and they will mock him spit on him flog him and kill him and he will rise after three days i mean <laughs> it's like he tells them everything yes and then look at jeremiah look at james and john's response right then james and john the sons of zebedee approach him and say teacher we want you to do something for us if we ask you. <laughs> and he says, what do you want me to do for you? And they say, allow us to sit at your right and at your left in your glory. And Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup I drink or to be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? And they're like, we're able. We're, you know, we can do this. And he goes, well, you will do these things. Uh, but to sit at my right and my left is not mine to give. Instead, it's for those who's been prepared for. And then when the other 10 disciples heard this um, i'm sure gossip spread among that circle right they began to be indignant with james and john they get aggravated with james and john like when we so when we're setting the picture here jeremiah for for uh could james and john be be these bold leaders right after after uh after jesus you know would jesus appoint james and john as bold leaders how does this kind of help us see that okay maybe that wouldn't be our first choice yeah, so they mainly just because they were ignorant of what they were asking. They were asking basically, can we can we die with you, uh, or go with you in the or be with you in glory? And of course, Jesus in all of his glory, like his moment of glory, is on the cross, right? Mm-hmm. Of or resurrection. But it just it shows that they just didn't get it, and I think that's what where Jeff was. Was that? And I like this encounter. I like the 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 encounter with Peter. 
Yeah. Where he's like, he's asking them, who, who do they say I am? And he says, who do you say I am? Um, and uh, But then Peter's immediately rebuked. Yeah, right? yeah, right. Um, and I can't remember why he's rebuked in that moment. What, what was Oh, it's, he he's rebuked because Jesus, again, predicts his death. And he's like, no, 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 we're yeah. not going to let that oh, happen yeah, to not, you. Yeah. And, he, and, and Jesus looks at him and says, get behind me, Satan. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. These things have to happen. So these it, things have to happen. It's like right? these... There's moments when you're like, oh, man, these guys get it. They're going to be the leaders. They they got it all. And then immediately it's like, uh, yeah, he missed that one. He missed the mark there. Right. Yeah. And so, and also I'll add, like, um, if these guys were indignant with James and John, right, they were upset over James and John doing this, that doesn't, that doesn't bode well for them to be the next leaders of the church, right, or the next leaders of the group. If, if I do something... You know, if I, if I go to Jeff and I'm like, hey, Jeff, man, can you do something for me? And he's like, what? Well, whenever you leave, will you just tell everybody to make me the pastor, you know, <laughs> or, like, or you know, give me all this money or whatever? And you guys hear about it, you're going to be like, hey, wait, well, you did what? And so it's going to be really hard for me to lead the church if I, you know, if the church finds out that I go to Jeff privately and ask this thing. Yeah. And what they were doing was even worse than that. I mean, they were, they were, they were asking because most people thought he was going to be the Messiah. And they're like, okay, Messiah, when you when you finish destroying all of our oppressors, we want to be the ones to sit on your right and left. We want the positions of power. Yes. And and and, and, uh, and the rest of the disciples are obviously indignant when they hear this. Yeah. Um, and then and then we could jump ahead to Peter. So you're right, James, John, Peter. That would probably be the ones that we would pick, right? And then you go to Peter. And uh, famously, famously, infamously, Blake, um, Peter, uh, obviously, uh, you know, deny, uh, says, I'm going to, I'm going to, even if everyone else runs away because of you, I won't run away. And that's when Jesus says, yeah, well, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And he says, even I have, even if I have to die with you, Peter told him, I will never deny you. And dude, I really love what you said here because I, I mean, I've read this a bunch. Maybe that's just because, is it just in Matthew's account where, they, where, where this is added about the other disciples? Uh, I'm not really sure. But okay, that's the one I picked. Okay, well, <laughs> any, at any rate, it says, and all the disciples said the same thing. Well, we, like you said, we give Peter a rough ride here over over the over him denying Jesus and you know, make this bold proclamation, oh, I'll die with you. But all the other disciples said the same thing. All of them said, we'll die with you, Jesus. Yeah. Um, you know, when the moment came, they were out. Yeah, exactly, Blake. Yeah, when the moment came, they were out. Yeah. And it wasn't even a question. Like uh, We see that uh, in verse 50, uh, uh, all the disciples, all the disciples deserted him and ran away. Mm, verse 56. Yeah, so Blake, is that the... You know, if you're if you're looking for somebody to be bold proclaimers of of the message of Jesus Christ, whatever they thought it was going to be, whether you know as as Messiah or or that you know at least his teachings and stuff. Um, if you're if you're writing the story, um, let's say you're writing the story yeah. right after the fact, because a lot of people think, oh, okay, this was all written after the fact, and and. And you know they, they were writing these gospels long after it happened, so we don't can't trust what actually happened here. If you're writing the story and you're putting it out there, do you do you include this stuff? No, not at <laughs> all. Because I mean, you have Peter, who's I mean, basically a pompous loudmouth. Yeah. And you know he's saying that he's saying that he's going to go, and you know I'll be with you, I'll be with you, then chokes, you know. Right. And kind of like my 
Demon Deacons last night in the tournament. <laughs> you know, it's kind of what this reminds me of. And then like James and John, you know they, you know they're they're gone too. Every one of them's gone. Yeah. You know this is not an act of leadership. You know this is not the act of leadership here. No, no. And the next time we see them, um, and Jeff, you pointed this out, is over in John twenty, and and that's where they're all up in the upper room. Um, kind of shaking in their boots. Verse 19. Yeah, verse 19. 2019. Let me go there. I'll pull that up. 2019 here. And it says, uh, In the evening of that first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because of their fear of the Jews. And that's when Jesus came, comes and stands among them and says to them, Peace to you. But the point there is that they're not... Um, this is, and by the way, this is the third day that night. Yeah, exactly. This is this is that the, the night that I'm guessing this is. This you're the looking first at, one went before the, Thomas is a week later. Right. So it's, all, it's everybody but Thomas is there. Right, and I'm wondering too. Is this? Um, I would think that this is what well, it is. This is after they've already saw the empty tomb. Yes. They've seen the empty tomb. The, the, the women have made their report. And instead of being like, woohoo, Jesus is risen from the dead, they're all upstairs in the upper room, locked away. Because they're still fearful because they don't really know. Remember, the, Jeremiah told us the women were like idle tales. Like, we can't make sense of this. Yep. So we just need to still hide because if they came after Jesus, they're going to come after us. Right. Um, and, and, and so, again, if I were writing the story, if I was writing the legend of Jesus, right, and the, then the last thing I would do is show disbelieving disciples locked up in a room upstairs. I would, I would have, you know, I, well, first off, I wouldn't have the women come and, and report anything. It would have been the disciples who went to the empty tomb, got a report from the angel, and then immediately started proclaiming that Jesus had risen from the dead and 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 you know. Uh, that he's conquered, conquered the grave, and all this. Uh, even then, it w- it would be hard to say why they thought that because the this this doctrine that they're teaching is completely foreign to Judaism. Um, but yet, uh, I, the, the the last thing I would do is I I wouldn't show them cowering in a corner. And I think that's the quote that Josh McDowell read that read that quote there from Josh. Right, Josh again. McDowell in more than a carpenter says, "Think of the psychological absurdity." A picture in a little band of defeated cowards <laughs> cowering in the upper room one day and a few days later transformed into a company that no persecution could silence. Mm. <laughs> and then attempting to attribute this dramatic change to nothing more uh, to nothing more convincing than a miserable fabrication that they were trying to foist upon the world. That simply was wouldn't make sense. So, no. So uh, the resurrection is a false teaching. You're picking the wrong group to be the group to go out and proclaim it because obviously they're afraid. Yeah. And they're cowering. Even though they've had reports that Jesus is not in the tomb anymore, they're still afraid. So there something has to happen more than just Jesus showing up to change them. Yeah. Uh, because even when he shows up, they're still in the empty room a week later, still hiding. Yeah. And Thomas shows up that night and yep. gets to see Jesus. So so it took them a while to get past their fear even in this resurrection uh, appearance phase until they get to Acts. And we'll look at that. There's a, a 
particular thing that happens that changes right. them all. Yeah, and and I think I think the the McDowell quote is is so apt here because um, it does not make sense that this picture of guys running away and 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 guys clamoring for power and and guys cowering in the corner in the in the locker room that 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 group of people would proclaim something that if it was a lie that they knew to be a lie they knew to be a myth that they would proclaim it with enough boldness to where they refused to be shut up they would not stop talking about it mm-hmm. i mean something had to have happened to cause that it, it, it you know um People say all the time, people don't die for lies. Now they die for things. People will die all the time for things that are lies. That they, but they believe that they're true. But they believe they're true. Yes. People don't die for things that they know mm. to be a lie. That's good. They, you know, they just don't. Um, you know, I, uh, I, I know, for instance, that the. Uh, hopefully, there's no children listening. That there's, there's no tooth fairy. Right? I know that there's no. Tooth Fairy, or uh, you know, let's say I know there's no Tinkerbell. We'll go with that, right? I know there's no Tinkerbell. Or, you know, it's a fictional character in Peter Pan. You know, but perhaps my, my children think that Tinkerbell's real. We went to Disney World once and they saw her and and stuff. And so, so to just kind of play off of that, there, you know, we might when we go to see her, we're like, oh, you you excited about seeing Tinkerbell? You know, I wonder if she's got you know, or she'll fly from the castle and stuff like that. And the kids are like, yeah, you know, and then they they, they, they believe this. But we know, of course, it's a lie. Now, if we were, you know, captured and and someone said, you know, is Tinkerbell real? Um, you know, we, you know, in front of our kids, we're like, yeah, yeah, Tinkerbell's real. And then they start torturing us or threatening us. We're like, no, no, absolutely not. Tinkerbell is not real. You know, I'm going to give that lie up quick. Yes. Right. right. Yeah. Especially because it has no no real consequence for me to keep telling it. And that's the other thing about the disciples, right? Like, it's not just that. Um, they, they wouldn't die for a known lie, but what motivation do they have for continuing? If they, even, if they, even if they were willing to die for a lie, there'd have to be some massive motivation to do so, right? Mm-hmm. And what motivation is there? If you know that the resurrection is false and you're out there proclaiming it and you refuse to be shut up to the point of death, then what good does that do you? Why, why keep propagating this it wasn't like they were getting money. It wasn't like they were getting power. It wasn't like they were doing anything, you know, you know, false hope is not hope. Um, so I, I, I agree with McDowell entirely here. And let's talk a little bit now about the second half of this, right? Actually, before we transition, yeah. um, I know Jeff didn't have time to talk about this particular situation, but my favorite when we talk about the disciples living in fear and pre-resurrection mm-hmm. disciples, my favorite uh, kind of narrative in the Bible is is uh, when they're in the garden, mm-hmm. right? The, Jesus is literally going to die for the sins of the world the next evening. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is showing great. Uh, he's praying, uh, and they're literally falling asleep. Yeah. Falling asleep the whole time. Uh, and then uh, he's, he goes to be arrested. The whole thing with Peter and what might be a guy named Malchus or just the, the centurion there. Um, he cuts his ear off. Jesus puts it back on, right? Right. But then we talk about the disciples. They ran away. <laughs> 
But one of the disciples ran so hard, so fast, <laughs> fleeing for his life, he ran out of his clothes. Close. Yeah. <laughs> he ran away naked. So, and, they, and that's they funny. His cloak and he yeah, that's funny to us. But it, it shows me that, man, they, they literally thought they were running for their lives. Yes. 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 And yeah. at the moment when. When they all had said, "Look, we'll we'll die with you. We'll go to the we'll go to the cross with you, or we'll go to the death with you," nah, they ran away. And and pretty much, aside from the women, there was probably only one disciple or apostle at the cross, mm. uh, and that's John. Mm-hmm. Um, so even the next evening, they're still gone, nowhere to be found. Well, Peter's kind of in the area. Uh, we, but he's not at the cross. Um, he's in the area, and then he denies, and then probably at, at the third denial, he just probably goes to weep, go, goes to cry. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what he did, but... Uh, yeah, so before we tra- transition, I just wanted to, to remind us what's going on. Not weeks before, not months before, not even years before, the very day before he dies. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's that, that's a really good point, and that's a, that's, a great, that's a great account. I can't remember which one... Is it Luke that includes that Luke one? Does, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Luke's also the one that includes uh, Jesus sweating drops of blood. Oh, okay, okay. So it's Luke that, that includes that. It's a great, it's a great narrative account. And you're right. It's a, it's a detail that's important that sometimes gets brushed away. It, but it does show us. It's not just comical, but it does really show us how the afraid they were. yeah how afraid they were exactly. So, um, but they go from being that kind of afraid to being ridiculously bold I mean I mean really ridiculously bold um the and, and that goes to your second point Jeff which is the apostles faithfully faced persecution and death after they encountered the resurrected Lord after these experiences these real experiences that they believed were with the risen Lord they become super bold. Mm-hmm. And um, and then you show us you showed us plenty of examples here, including um, almost all of this. I, actually, in fact, all of this is from Luke's account in, in the Book of Acts. Um, and you can you can read about Peter's sermon and uh, yeah. I mean, after after uh, after Pentecost, when they experienced the Holy Spirit, pre- Peter starts preaching. Thousands of people get saved, and that begins the whole process. And so. Uh, in Acts chapter 3 verse 15 was that message he's given and that was the centerpiece of his message I think kind of dovetails into what you're going to be teaching next week Yeah. but his, his centerpiece of his message was that you killed the author of, right, uh, author of life but God raised him from the dead and we are witnesses to this fact Yeah. so they're now this is Peter and John or the bold ones proclaiming uh, it took a little while later for the other apostles, and we'll, we'll, we'll look at that later. But, but there at the very beginning, the resurrection was a key component to their messages and right. what they were preaching. And for those who would want to argue and say, okay, well, um, this is Luke's account, but this, you know, maybe, maybe they didn't really say these things, or maybe they didn't really, um, this is just Luke writing this after the fact and, and such, right? Um, what we can definitely say without beyond a shadow of a doubt is somebody was preaching this stuff. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it doesn't get out of Jerusalem, right? I mean, I, I mean, I don't have any reason to doubt what Luke is writing here in the book of Acts 
and in his gospel. Again, because one, we mentioned it earlier, the criterion of embarrassment, right? It includes a lot of embarrassing details that way wouldn't have included otherwise um, if they weren't, if they didn't actually happen. And, and then, um, and, and then two, it just jobs with what happens in the church, or what happens in the early church and how this thing uh, just life, how everything just sort of uh, comes to life and the church comes to life and the, these guys, uh, this, if it was just a myth that somebody had cooked up and started preaching about for whatever reason, and again, it doesn't make sense that they would have been preaching about this because there was nothing out there like it and it was completely foreign to Judaism. If it was just a myth, it, it wouldn't have taken off like it did, right? Because everything they were, one, everything they were saying was like falsifiable. Yeah, and uh, if you take a look at Luke himself, you know, Luke was a doctor. He was very educated, uh, very intellectual. And um, even in Luke chapter 1, uh, mm -hmm. verses 1 through 4, he says, Many have undertaken to compile a narrative about the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as the original eyewitnesses and servants of the word handed them down to us. It also seemed good to me, since I have carefully investigated everything from the first. So even Luke, you know, Luke never... You know, Luke was one who wasn't like original of the twelve, but mm -hmm. he heard their message, and it, he even says he investigated it for himself. So, just to even prove your point more that the gospel was going forward, these disciples were affecting. But even to the point of Luke, somebody who wasn't in that original twelve, and now you have a basically a Gentile, right? You know, who's who's uh, going forward with the gospel message? Yeah, and that's a great point, Blake. Um, so then we we. Just let's let's say that that we we believe what Luke has written here to be to be true. Then let's look and see how the how the story plays out, right? Because the way that he outlines the story, you can absolutely see how this led to the explosion of the gospel um, that we see later, right? And and it starts with um, and you pointed this out, Jeff. It starts with Peter and John being arrested, right? So they're being they they're and they were arrested. That verse 2, because the leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that Jesus, uh, that through Jesus there is resurrection. Yeah, the right. So that's why they were arrested, because they were still preaching the resurrection. Right, and, and, and especially they, the Sadducees, because remember, the Sadducees don't even believe in a general resurrection right. of the dead. And so they're the ones who, who confront them and are provoked that, that, that they're, they're preaching about Jesus uh, proclaiming the person of Jesus, the resurrection from the dead. Um, so then they they take them. Um, they are uh, you uh, outlined all this. They go on trial, right? They go on trial, uh, and then they they're out of prison after that, right? They're, they're, well, they they tell them, remember that uh, from not to preach or teach in Jesus anymore, and then that's when they say we can't stop telling everybody what we've seen and heard. That's right. And so then they, they get freed and they go tell the rest of the disciples because they're, they're, uh, or they're, they're apostles now, so tell the rest of them because they're in a room now. Right. And then something happens in this room to give the rest of them boldness. Yeah, and that's, and that's that, the prayer meeting. That That's kind of cool, this prayer meeting that happens. This is, I, I was wrong, this isn't when, uh, so Peter and John are arrested, they're, they're, they're put on trial, uh, but then they end up, they, they, they have no other way to punish them. They don't. They don't imprison them at that point. No, they just, because they were afraid that of the people too. The mob, yeah. So they were just like, we'll just tell them not to preach in Jesus' name anymore. Yeah, quit preaching in His yeah. name. 
And they're like, well, we can't because yeah, yes. we won't stop. Yeah, right. Because <laughs> because we've seen and the reason and the re, the rationale is these are things that we've seen and heard. Yeah, like, you're telling us not to proclaim something that we know is true, and they're like, yes. you know, well, you gotta stop. Yeah. Like, yeah, how can we stop? And I love how the I love how the CSB translates. It says, "For we are unable to stop speaking about the things we have seen and heard." It yeah, was, it wasn't right. even on their radar to shut up about it. You yeah. know, he said we're unable. Well, to do how it. you put yourself in their shoes, right? Yeah. I mean, if you, I mean, I would tell everybody. Yeah, yeah. It's like you know, if if if, if Kentucky goes on this run <laughs> and wins the championship, <laughs> right? SEC, and then they actually win the NCAA. You would tell everybody for years. Oh yeah, I wouldn't yeah. shut up about it. You guys, yeah. would, you guys would hate me. So it's the same thing. The, great, <laughs> the greatest thing that ever happened. I'd be wearing my, I'd be wearing my T-shirt, all my gear, all my yeah. championship gear, and that's exactly what they were doing. Exactly. I mean, you the know, greatest thing you ever experienced in your entire life in in God in the flesh has appeared to you after He's died. I mean, you can't. I mean, how can you not tell people? Yeah, I, I'm I, I'm wearing the Jesus Rose Again <laughs> T-shirt. I'm wearing the hat. I'm, yeah. wearing, I'm going out there. I'm telling everybody about it because I mean it's it's amazing. It's so amazing. And what do they have to lose now? I mean, they right. don't have anything to gain and nothing to lose. It's so like we're just preaching it. Right. They're, and, they're not trying to build an empire or no. any kind of like. No. They're not trying to get money or position of power and all that stuff that was important. Now it's like. We're just proclaiming what happened. Exactly. And these are the same guys that were, were, were talking about that kind of stuff prior to this. And I mean, look, it is so amazing. It what what their message is so amazing that we're still talking about it now. Yeah. Some two thousand years later, um, there you know, we it is absolutely amazing news what they and so it's you know, with the We'll get into practical application of this in just a moment, but really when I think about this, I'm like, then shouldn't that be our response and the same response as they have? Yes. We are unable. We are unable to to keep our mouths shut about this. And yet it seems as though, I don't know, has the resurrection lost its luster? Is, is, is there something about it that, that keeps us quiet now? Uh, whereas these guys certainly were not quiet. Um, what is it that, that that causes us to be? Un- I mean, if if we were Peter and John, and we got arrested, and they said, "Okay, well, you got to stop preaching in the name of Jesus." I'm not talking about us as pastors. I'm just talking about the average layperson who's a Christian, right? Would they be like, um, "Well, first off, would they get arrested?" <laughs> you know, to begin with, um, and second off. If they were arrested, would they just capitulate and say, "Oh, okay, we're sorry, we we won't do that again," you know, or would they say, "Well, we can't help it. We 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 know that this is true, and so we have to talk about it." Hmm. Um, I I think I think that maybe there's more people who would capitulate right now than would build. Yeah, well, I think I made the point in the sermon that we act more like the pre-resurrection disciples. Yeah, we do the mm. post-resurrection. Mm. Yeah, it's it's funny, and then I mean, it, you know, even even among church leadership, there seems to be this. It's more about not 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 talking here, Rosa. I'm talking about in general. Yes, you know that there's there's more of this these power plays, and uh, even in our own convention right now. I mean, let's talk. I mean, you know, there's there's it's it's less about the resurrection and less about faithfully facing persecution, and it's more about you know, 
capitulation or more about looking for power, looking for prestige, um, and and doing what we can to fit in with everybody as to being opposed to what everybody else is saying. It right, because I though, said like Herod, you know, he, he, he saw that it pleased the Jews. Yeah. And I said, that, you know, I think the point I made was that we are trying to please our persecutors. Yeah. Instead of just saying, hey, here's the message, and if you get persecuted, fine. Right. But, and, but don't try to be fearful so that, okay, I'm not going to say anything in order to please that person. Yeah. And yeah. one thing that um, I was able to take a persecuted church class over at the seminary, and one thing that I learned from uh, our professor who came for a week was the fear of persecution is almost always worse than the persecution itself. Mm. Um, so, like, if we can endure the fear of persecution what he's saying is basically most of the time we should be able to endure the actual persecution mm-hmm. um, and like and the good news is like we don't have to do it alone like that's why we have the church that's why we have the Holy Spirit inside of us you know yeah well um, Peter and, and, and John are released and the first thing that they do is they go back to their fellowship and report everything that happened to them and then they begin to pray and uh, and they pray for boldness. And I, 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 you know, you didn't go over the entire prayer. We won't either here. But I love, um, you know, they, they start off with just recognizing the sovereignty of God, right? Master, you are the one who made the heaven, the earth, and the sea, and everything in them. Yeah, God, you are in control. You are sovereign. You are the, you are the, uh, you're far, you're far higher in authority than these who are trying to shut us up, right? And, and, and the conclusion of their prayer is, And now, Lord, consider their threats and grant that your slaves, your servants, may speak your message with complete boldness, that they would go and speak boldly. They prayed for boldness. And when they prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken. I don't know what that means. I don't know if it literally means that like it was an earthquake shaking kind of thing that happened, that the building started shaking, or whether they were shook, you know, like, like, like you ever been in one of those... I mean, you guys ever been in one of those meetings where you just knew God's presence was active? Absolutely. I, I, I mean, every every meeting we had together as brothers and sisters should be like that, but let's just be honest, they're not. Um, but there are those moments in my life that I can go back and think of when the place I was with, the group of people I was with, there was a shaking going on, and there was boldness, and there was just an almighty presence of God in that. And when you walk away from something like that, man, you can't help but just tell everybody about what you just experienced because it's it's incredible. And I'm not talking about like don't 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 misunderstand me. I'm not saying like some sort of charismatic, right. you know, angel showing up and stuff like nothing like that. But just the feeling of the presence of God. You know what I'm talking about, Jeremiah? Yeah, I mean sometimes People call it the gospel goosebumps or whatever, and it, there's just this, I don't know, heightened sense of God's love and mercy and uh, His presence, just just who He is. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll tell you, uh, just on a side note here, um, the times that I have felt that way the most are when I am in some situation that models what was going on in Acts. I'm with a certain with a group of, group of believers for a prolonged period of days. We'll share meals together, share share time together, mm-hmm. 
and the focus of our time together is on serving him somehow or worshiping him and when you when you do that whether it's on a mission trip or at youth camp or in a uh, you know in a retreat setting or something like that it, it's amazing how that opens you up for that that sort of feeling that you're talking about yeah and it's not just an emotional experience I, I know the difference between being emotionally moved and being moved by the spirit does that make sense yes. yeah and uh, to piggyback off that like I remember going to student life camp um, over and over again and just really feeling the presence of God not that emotional like the like this emotional high, mm-hmm. but really experiencing God doing work and seeing how the Lord would take like that youth camp and he would save people, um, uh, you know, using people from Dobson, North Carolina, up in Ohio, you know, using people from all across the country to come and just seeing these service projects, you know, um, staying away from the phones, doing the Lord's work for a week, and it's powerful. Yeah, it's powerful. And I know you've been on lots of mission trips where it, mission trips are especially like that, right? Oh, yeah. yeah, especially if you're. You, you mentioned it like in in your message. You, you've been uh, you've been in, uh, at least two very dangerous places. Uh, Haiti, right after the earthquake, was right. not a safe place to be, and you were there. And I'm sure that's probably one of the places where you kind of felt God's presence. Oh yes, yeah. yeah. Um, and the cool thing about it is that. A lot of times when you do have those experiences, a few months or weeks later, it kind of goes away. But here, I think this was different in that the the disciples, as soon as they get empowered by the Holy Spirit, they go out and they start preaching and teaching the resurrection powerfully. In fact, now all of them are going to the temple. It's not just Peter and John, but all of them go. They all get arrested. That famous uh, trial where Gamiel gives his advice. Right. And uh, and from that point on, they preached the gospel and the message until persecution finally comes with Stephen, the first martyr. Right. And then that leads to James who gets his head cut off. And that all is a span of about 10 years, but in the scriptures it's about four chapters. Yeah. So uh, something happened. They met Christ. Christ was actually arose. Christ gave them his Holy Spirit. Christ gave them the boldness they needed. And they went out and proclaimed it. And this time now when they're facing persecution, everybody left, but the apostles stayed in Jerusalem. Yeah, and talk about James, that because you were you, you said you didn't get a chance to mention that in your message. And I actually like what, when we were talking uh, before we went on air um, about how what, what an impact that has. Because if those apostles had left Jerusalem... Uh, yeah, because like, uh, I remember, and I've, I've kind of been critical of the disciples too, the apostles too, because when persecution hits, you know, the church scatters, and that's like when Jesus said, go into all the nations, like that's how the gospel was spread. Right. But the apostles stayed in Jerusalem, and you're thinking, why did they do that? Did why they, would the leaders did, of the church yeah, did stay they there? not get it? They're supposed to go. But... Then I started thinking about it after this, after the fact, thinking, well, the reason they had to stay there was because they made such a bold witness that they're not afraid of persecution anymore, that they stayed and preached. Because Jerusalem, again, was a place where people came to worship God. And so they had myriads of opportunity to preach the gospel there in Jerusalem, the people from all over the world coming to Jerusalem. And plus it gave them that if they got up and ran, then that would have attributed the fact that, well, maybe they didn't really believe it, and now they're on the run, too. Yeah. So 
Um, so <laughs> I think that reinforces the fact that they they actually dug in and they really believed it. And how many times do you think they went back to the temple and preached again, you know, and, and proclaimed the resurrection again, even after they'd been yeah. beaten for And so it wasn't until really after... AD 70 when Jerusalem was destroyed and right. everybody was dispersed that's when the apostles got spread out to different places. And is it is it at that point uh, I know again I know it's not in the Bible uh, necessarily but tradition holds that all the apostles were martyred for the faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and so and, and and they're in different places when that happened. Yes. Correct? According to tradition. Again, yes. I know that's extra biblical. That's yeah. outside the Bible and all. In fact, uh Sean McDowell, Josh's son did his dissertation on on this topic that we're talking about, uh, and his point was, it did. It doesn't really matter if the traditions are true or if all the disciples didn't didn't die, mm-hmm. but there were two or three. But but the point was they were willing to die, mm. whether the traditions are are true or not. Right. And so that's why I just stuck with the Bible and stuck with James because that's the only one we have a record of. But we know for a fact that James, well, we know that the Bible yeah. at least says that James definitely was killed, beheaded with yes. the sword yes. by by uh, by Herod, right? I mean, right. Like, uh, well, I mean, and then after that, I give the quote from uh, Wallace, uh, who was a you know crime scene investigator that James Warner Wallace looked, yeah. Yeah, looked at the, and his whole point was that uh, even if people say, well, people, you know, good people die. Wallace die for things all the time. They're right. martyrs. I mean, Martin Luther King Jr. was a martyr. Um, so the difference between the disciples and anybody else was that they had firsthand knowledge. And if they, uh, um, let's see if I can get the thing. Okay, unlike unlike the rest of us, their willingness to die for their claims is tremendous of evidential value. In fact, the commitment of the apostles confirms the truth of the resurrection. So in other words, they would have been the source of the lie mm. if they died for the lie. Yes. And so that's the difference between everybody else. So if I die for something that's a lie, but I believe it's true, I wasn't the original source of that's it. Good. Right, yeah. So they're the original sources of it. And so if they created the lie, and, died, and none of them... Uh, recanted. It was ever recorded in history. They recanted. So, um, so uh, we take taking it back that that probably the vast majority of them were persecuted and did face death. Mm. Even though tradition, for whatever reason, some people might have put them in different areas. Um, um, we really don't know for sure how all of them died. Right. Right. So. I think an interesting thing to see is like whenever there was persecution here in um even throughout those uh, historical testimony, you know, those historical disciples, what how they might have died, um, the gospel always advanced due to right. due to persecution. Um, and I've got a book in my office, and I think it's powerful going through. It's called a John Fox's Book of Martyrs. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. um, it's a I def it's a highly recommend. I definitely recommend that. And um, I think I think when it comes to persecution, even for the American church. Um, we kind of forget that this still happens in the world today. You know, there's still we got some faithful brothers and sisters. I think of in Africa, Asia, China, um, mm. throughout there who are definitely even today willing to die for their faith, and even even people here at uh, Southeastern um, willing to go to the hard places. I know uh, women. Yeah, are definitely one of them. Gentlemen, why don't you quote, share the yeah, share yeah, your statistics? Quote. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, when I was listening to the sermon. Uh, of course, I still had my sermon on the mind, and uh, this week I think Monday was International Women or National Women's Day. It's international, international, international yeah. Women's Day. Uh, 
But I remembered a quote that I had first heard from J.D. Greer, but it's really a quote from the IMB. And basically, they did a study of the top 10 worst or uh, most dangerous places that, that the IMB had jobs for. Mm-hmm. And then they were looking at the applicants for those top 10 most dangerous places. These will be places like uh, war-torn countries or, or countries in civil unrest or uh, with... Uh, Muslim extremists, those those types of dangerous jobs like that, communism that we would want to send missionaries right. to because that's what we do. Um, but the quote is, and the, the, the statistic is, is that of those applicants, female applicants outnumber males four to one. Mm. Wow. The female applicants outnumber the male applicants four to one. So 80% of the applicants are female and 20% are male. And it just... It goes to talk about this boldness because my favorite thing about that prayer that they're praying is they don't pray that God would take them out of the situation. Mm, right. Yeah. They don't yeah. pray that God would make their lives more comfortable. And if we're being honest, I think a lot of our prayer life looks like that. Like, mm. God, don't send me. God, <laughs> God, take this away from me. I don't want this persecution. Right. right? Yeah, yeah. And I'm not saying we should necessarily go out and look for persecution right um but their prayer was for boldness and to see the boldness of of these women applicants and the boldness of the women uh the sermon before uh it's just an encouragement to me to 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 try to have that boldness and i like what you said about the fear uh a lot of times it's the fear of of persecution is a lot worse than the actual persecution Mm -hmm. And I like that you mentioned uh, about the prayer because, like, a lot of times, like, even, like, we hear about Christians who have been, uh, like, imprisoned by a country like, I don't know, we'll just say, like, Iran. Mm-hmm. You know, our prayer is, Lord, get them out of the persecution. Lord, mm-hmm. stop the persecution. Well, if you think about it, the reason they're being persecuted is because the church is growing. Mm-hmm. You know, if we want to pray that persecution will stop, the day that persecution stops in these places is when the church stops growing. Yeah, so and, I don't and, know and, that we necessarily want. We yeah, want to definitely, that. definitely in some situations, I think <laughs> yeah. you're right there. I think, I think the thing that that that, that we walk away from there is that um, maybe not not be focused on the persecution at all, whether it should stop or whether it should keep going, but just pray for boldness in that yes. moment, right? Yeah. They pray for boldness, whether the persecution stops or it or it keeps going. You know, we just want to be bold in our proclamation yeah. of the gospel. Because right? in those areas, persecution is as normal as the sun going up and going down. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, um, I was looking for a video, you know, to go along with the sermon. And I did see the videos about the all the disciples and it has, has where they died and stuff like that. But the video that I showed, I picked, picked was from the uh, hymn, yeah. No Turning Back. Yeah. And it was actually the words of someone that was dying as they were being persecuted, that the missionary wrote down that turned into the hymn mm. that we all love. You know, I've decided to follow Jesus, not right. turning back. And that's that can be like the hymn for these guys too. Right. Once they once they kind of got it and they knew Jesus was alive and He was their Lord and their Savior, and uh, He rose rose again. They had no fear of death anymore. So it was like, all right, there's no turning back. Yeah. There was no turning back after that point. So, um, so again, when we take in, take in, take it, uh, take stock of what we've got so far, um, historians confirm the death and burial, uh, the death and burial of Jesus. They confirm that 
The disciples had real experiences that they believed were with the risen Jesus. They confirmed, historic, uh, critical scholars confirmed that there was some kind of transformation that took place in these disciples' lives. What explains that, right? <laughs> there, there are lots of rival hypotheses, but none of them are going to be able to cover all three of those. Mm-hmm. One of the rival hypotheses that's going to, that we're going to have to deal with, though, is this notion that um, all this was sort of done after the fact. And I kind of hinted at that earlier, that all this is kind of um, stuff that was built up after the fact and that it kind of came about as a result of like the telephone game, right? And Jesus' legend grew and grew and grew and grew and grew until it eventually became what what what, what people proclaim, uh, what, what, what gets written down in the New Testament stuff. But there's good reason to disprove that too and i'm going to deal with that next week um next week we're going to look at the creeds um and uh it's probably not as you know as as um as exciting you know and as as uh, in, in your mind you might be thinking the creeds what's that got to do with the resurrection but the early formation of some of the christian creeds are it serves as very good historical evidence for the uh, historicity of the resurrection so Looking forward to doing that. And we'll talk about that uh, on Monday. So Monday Main Points should be back on Monday next week. Uh, So thanks for joining for this one. Uh, I know we've gone a little bit longer than normal, 49 minutes. That's not bad. Uh, Hopefully you've enjoyed your time with us. We've enjoyed our our time with you. And uh, we'll see you next time. So, so long.